Island. Again, that's the Gospel of Mark, chapter 6, beginning in verse 14. Hear now from the word of God. King Herod heard of it, for Jesus' name had become known. Some said, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. That is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. But others said, he is Elijah. And others said, he is a prophet, like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. For it was Herod who had sent and seized John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because he had married her. For John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted to put him to death, but she could not, for Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and he kept him safe. When he heard him, he was greatly perplexed, and yet heard him gladly. But an opportunity came when Herod, on his birthday, gave a banquet for his nobles and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. For when Herodias' daughter came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guests. And the king said to the girl, Ask me for whatever you wish, and I will give it to you. And he vowed to her, whatever you ask me, I will give you up to half my kingdom. And she went out and said to her mother, for what should I ask? And she said, the head of John the Baptist. And she came in immediately with haste to the king and asked, saying, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And the king was exceedingly sorry. But because of his oaths and his guests, he did not want to break his word to her. And immediately the king sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. He went and beheaded him in the prison and brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl. And the girl gave it to her mother. And when his disciples heard of it, they came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. Here ends the reading of God's holy word. If you would please join me in prayer. O holy God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So we've been on this journey with Jesus witnessing his marvelous ministry as he goes around in the region of Galilee and crosses the sea and comes back. He goes to his hometown. He's rejected. And after his rejection, he sends out the 12 to go and, and to cast out demons. They have the authority and then to go heal people and to call people into repentance. And then we are told that Herod hears of this. This is what Herod hears of. He hears of how Jesus is growing in popularity. He hears that Jesus has given away some of his authority to his disciples to go and do the things Jesus was doing himself. And Herod believes that it's John the Baptist raised. And we're given a flashback to exactly how John the Baptist would die. 
John the Baptist, you know, the, the cousin of Jesus, the last of the Old Testament prophets, the forerunner to Christ who was in the wilderness baptizing the people of Israel, calling them to repent of their sins, who, according to Jesus's own words, he was the greatest man who ever lived up until his time. And today we encounter the story of his execution. It's the only part of Mark's gospel that isn't centered on Christ. It's a story about John the Baptist, the man in the wilderness wearing camel hair and eating grasshoppers. The one who would not only baptize Jesus, but the very one who always, in everything he did, point to Jesus. That was his life's mission and life's work, was to point to Christ. In fact, John the Baptist would never toot his own horn. He wasn't about his own Popularity, and he's recorded as saying, I must decrease and he must increase. For he is far greater than I. I'm not even worthy to loose the strings of his sandals. The very man was charged by God, formed in his mother's womb, so that he would come in the wilderness calling sinners to repent. He wasn't afraid to call out sin. He wasn't afraid to call people into repentance. Although it's proved dangerous through the years. Could be a reason why we see it far less in churches today than we have in years of old. And it's exactly what John the Baptist did, according to this story here that he did when he encountered King Herod and his illegitimate wife, Herodias. See, they were an illegitimate couple because Herodias first was his niece of another brother. And then also was the wife of his brother, Philip. King Herod already had a wife, but he went and took his brother's wife for his as well. And John the Baptist spoke out to their sin, calling him into repentance. It says here, John put him in prison because Herodias was so outraged, yet John was perplexed, not John, Herod was perplexed by John. The, the, the prison that he kept in was beneath his palace, and so he could go down there and spend time with John the Baptist, perplexed by the things he would say, yet received them gladly. As if John the Baptist was the one person in King Herod's life who spoke truth to him. But John the Baptist didn't pull any punches. He called out sin and called Herod and Herodias to repentance. And he suffered an excruciating death because of it. Now this story of John the Baptist's death this flashback to this understanding of what happened, it, it does two things. First is that it foreshadows the rejection and death of Christ. That he too would be rejected and killed. 
Because you can't reject John the Baptist and accept Jesus. It doesn't work that way. You don't get the love and forgiveness without the repentance of sins. John the Baptist pointed to Jesus explicitly. You either embrace Jesus as Lord and Savior, or you stand with all of those who have rejected him. And if you reject him, you stand with the people of Israel calling out, crucify him, crucify him. And you're joined in great company by King Herod and Herodias. But... We know this about Jesus. For Paul tells us in his letter to the Romans, chapter 5, verse 8, but while we were yet sinners, in this understanding of while we were yet sinners, meaning we were in full rebellion against God and rejecting him completely in our lives, wanting absolutely nothing to do with him. In fact, I am perfectly fine without God is the way that we lived as sinners. At best, we took God as mere suggestion. And while we were yet sinners, Paul tells us, Christ died for us. Yes, Christ will be rejected and he will suffer death on the cross. But in that death, he will shed his blood for our forgiveness so that we will be made right with God. And through his resurrection, we are adopted daughters and sons of the God Most High. That this call from John the Baptist, this call of repentance of sins, to turn from our sins. See, Psalm 23 reads, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. That word follow is also the word pursue in Hebrew. Surely goodness and mercy shall pursue me all the days of my life. And while we were yet sinners... See how it's playing out here that God keeps his promises and does exactly what he says he was going to do? It's just as Joseph said at the end of Genesis, what you meant for evil, God uses for good and not just some good and not just a little good, but for our ultimate good. Christ was rejected so that we would be accepted. Christ was condemned, and in that condemnation rang our forgiveness. Turn from sin. Repent of it. Confess it. Receive Jesus in forgiveness. And then you go from death to life, from dark to light. You're born again. Because God used Jesus' rejection for our good. See, the death of John the Baptist also points to something within ourselves. We can read this story and we read it and we go, this is a horrible thing to happen to another human. We would never reject John the Baptist. We're here in church. We wouldn't even reject Jesus. If we lived in Jesus' time, we wouldn't have been in the crowd yelling, crucify him, crucify him. In Matthew 23, 
Jesus spoke to the Pharisees and Sadducees who said the same thing, that if they lived when their ancestors had lived, they wouldn't have rejected the prophets. They wouldn't have gone and killed them. And he says, but woe to you because you will and you do. So it's true of us as well. Because it's our pride. Our pride that finds Jesus and the gospel offensive. Jesus is offensive because he's calling us in repentance to turn from our sin and to turn to God. And the gospel is offensive because it says we can't do this on our own. We need God's help. We don't like being told we need help. We're pretty prideful people. It's our pride that stands up and says we don't need to repent of anything. Or or maybe more commonly, I can repent of X, Y, and Z, but I'm not repenting of this. It doesn't harm anyone or myself. And we've convinced ourselves that it's quite possible that's not even a sin. We're so prideful, we're willing to argue with the word of God. We really are. It's easy. We think it's easy to argue with the word of God. It's just a piece of paper. We can tear it out. That changes it, doesn't it? But if we begin tearing out one page, what prevents us from tearing out all of the pages we disagree with? Pretty soon, might not have much of a Bible left. Pride's that funny thing, isn't it? Our pride, it screams, we know better than God. We may not actualize it or internalize it that way when our pride rises up. But when Jesus is calling us to repent and we refuse to, we're telling God we know better than God. Hold on a second, God, I got this. I'd be thrilled to see how many of you could count the number of times on your hands that you did that and it worked out well for you. I've tried it in my life when God was calling me into ministry and that's not for me, that's my dad, right? Didn't work out well for me. I'm not running a tire store this day. I'm standing here before you because God is undefeated. Because he didn't just follow me, right? He pursues us all the days of our lives with goodness and with mercy. It's Jesus who's calling us into repentance. But it's true, we can even be here today. We can be a faithful follower of Christ and believe we would never reject Jesus. We wouldn't do it. Yet when he calls us to repentance and we don't, We've done just that. We've rejected him. The sinful, arrogant pride of Herod and Herodias. Herodias held a grudge against John the Baptist because he called out her sin and called her to repentance. She wanted him dead and carried that grudge until she found an opening to have it done. 
And Herod's own pride, right? It's his birthday party. He has nobles and military commanders and leading men of Galilee. And his wife's daughter comes in and dances and he promises her anything in the world she wants, up to half his kingdom. She asked for the head of John the Baptist on a platter. Herod was king. He could have said no. But his foolish pride wouldn't let him, for he did not want to be a fool among the men of this world. He would rather keep his word to foolish men than honor God. His pride got in the way. Preaching repentance of sins, that we need to repent of our sins, will do that to you. Happens to John the Baptist, happens to Jesus, it happens to every one of the apostles for making the same claim. It happens to early Christians who will be tied up and burned and lit as torches along the road to the Colosseum in Rome. It happens still in some countries to this day. Pride. It not only builds up walls in our hearts, but it can build up an army with it to go on the attack. And Satan is right there willing to help us build that wall and build that army. Whether it's just a slight little nudge, a whisper in the ear, or full hands-on work. Just as he did with Adam and Eve in the garden. Serpent comes along in the tree tree of the fruit of and there Eve is just whispered it's just a whisper take and eat from this oh we're not supposed to oh it's because God doesn't want you to be like him Adam and Eve in their pride think they can be like him just a little whisper was all it took for their pride to overtake them to turn from God. See, it's our pride that makes repenting so hard because it means admitting the direction we're going is incorrect, that we have to turn around. But the good news, right? So when we make that turn, when we make that turn, when we realize we've, we're like, no, 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 I know a shortcut. I know a different way. But when we make that turn around, God is standing there with his loving arms wide open as far as the east is from the west. Because goodness and mercy didn't just follow us, it has been pursuing us down our wrong path the entire way, just waiting for that moment when he would soften our hearts just enough that we would be humble enough to turn around and see all through all of this that God has loved us, was there waiting just for you. My prayer is for each of you that in each moment of your life you're, you, you, you become a little more self-aware of, of yourself and of your heart because oftentimes we don't pay attention to when our pride rises up and it gets in the way. But if we pay attention, the scriptures tell us we've been given God's spirit living within our heart to help put to death our sin which is our pride. We have the power 
of God to help us to turn and seek him always. May we tap into that in all the moments of our lives. Amen.